And how is it going, everyone? Welcome back to Pushing the A, Chapter 14 of American Pageant, which has a name. You know I don't know it by now. Um, if you're listening to this, it means you're kind of dedicated because, let's be real, no one other than me and maybe three other people, like spammers from Russia trying to find something to spam or scam, uh, is listening to this. If you are listening to this, it probably means that you're either really desperate to study for A-Push because you're listening to my podcast, which means you've gotten really far down the Google hole, or you're just a devoted fan, Which, to which I say thank you, pushing the AE. We'll find a good name for the fan base. I think it's going to really thrive. Okay, chapter 14, Westward Movement, is what this is about. Um... Again, it has a name. I don't know what it is. Half of the Americans under 30 uh, are living west. Um, the demographic central of the United States, once on the east, is now past the Alleghenies. These pioneers are living life with crappy homes, with bad health. They're lonely, they're depressed, they're ill-informed, they're individualistic. Ralph Wilder Emerson sees it a different way. It's just like they're self-reliant, which... I don't know, Ralph, you tell me. So, the main reason a lot of people are moving west is land for tobacco is needed, but tobacco destroys the land when it's planted irresponsibly. So, a lot of the land is destroyed. The fields are ruined. Kentucky bluegrass proves to be good for livestock, which is just something, I guess. There's also this fur trapping trade built on the rendezvous system, which basically trappers from St. Louis go to the Rockies where they meet. Not trappers, but rather traders from St. Louis go to the Rockies, where they meet up with trappers and Indians, and they trade pelts for eastern goods. It demolishes the bison, the beaver, sea otters. Um, a lot of people around the, or a lot, not a lot of people, a lot of animals go to the risk of extinction. This is called ecological imperialism. So suddenly, this new appreciation for nature uh, develops, and. It's not just any wilderness, it's the American wilderness. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. It's not Leviosa, it's Leviosa. Wingardia, okay. Um, the American wilderness is exceedingly beautiful, as I'm sure many of you know. George Caitlin... George Caitlin, why is my handwriting so bad? George Caitlin... George, Caitlin, you know what, someone whose first name is George, he's a big fan of the idea of a national park, um, which comes up to the idea of Yellowstone National Park, so there's a lot of national parks in the woodworks that are about to be coming down the mountain when she comes, yeehaw. Everyone is having kids out west, um... The population doubles every 25 years. In 1860, there are 33 states in the United States. It's the, most, the fourth most populous country. Cities are growing, which means things get smelly uh, and unsafe. The first sewer system, which is a plus, is installed in the early 1820s. Um, 20,000 or more people live in more than 40 cities, with New Orleans, New York, and Chicago taking the lead. Um, also, steamboats. Thanks to Samuel Morey, I know it says Robert Fulton, but it's Samuel Morey, um, have gotten a lot better. So, 
with all that in mind, there's a huge immigration boom. You get three times to four times the 60,000 a year from the 1840s. Um, just a ton of people come, especially from Ireland and Germany, because Europe is running out of room. People are moving around Europe, and they're also moving out of it. So uh, 25 out of the 60 million go elsewhere in the United States, but the rest go to the U.S., um, most with the ideas of liberty and freedom that they get from these American letters, which is like, it's heaven here, come aboard. So specifically, Ireland is a huge supplier of population for a few reasons. One, the potato famine happens in the mid-1840s. Um, the Irish diet is based on potatoes, and when they run out of potatoes, bad things happen. Also, the British are overstepping their authority on the island. Um, so a lot of people um, just come over to these eastern seaboard cities. They can't afford to go west. They don't have the money. Um, they land in New York and Philly. The Protestants in Boston um, really are not happy about the Irish coming for one big reason, and it's because the Bostons are Protestant and the Irish are Catholics. The Irish, however, are not uh, angels themselves. They are really not fans of black people, and they riot between the two. Um, so there are a lot of Irish in the U.S. now. So this ancient order of Hibernians is established, which is to protect Irish in the United States from anti-Catholic settle uh, sentiment. The Molly Maguires, which is a miners' union, is created. The Irish eventually work their way up through society. They get their money, they get property, they come into politics, uh, take over machines like Tammany Hall in New York. Politicians say it's time to appease the Irish, which, because the Irish so markedly hate the British, decide, okay, uh, we are going to be really mean to London, which I guess is okay. Um, there are a lot of German immigrants, 1830 to 1860, farmers who have crop failures or liberal political refugees. Carl Schurz is anti-slavery, anti-corruption, A-OK -okay guy. Um, they bring a lot fewer material goods, so they have the money to go Midwest, um, especially Wisconsin is where they go. Wisconsin's like a huge hotspot. Um, politicians are like, hey, let's get their votes, but they're really scattered than the Irish, so they're less powerful and less concentrated. Um, they do innovate a little bit. They create the wagon, the rifle, the Christmas tree, if that's your thing. They're very isolated, though. Um, they are educated, they go to school, and they have good art, but they drink a lot. That's, that's what you gotta know about the Germans. Um, there are all these immigrants that come in, and the nativists, uh, who immigrated to America a hundred years ago instead of ten years ago, are really worried about the original Americans, or old Americans as they call them. Anti-Catholicism really springs up. Um... And to be fair, the U.S. has gone from the fifth most populous country to the first in 1850. Um, although that does directly refute a fact the book said earlier. But nonetheless, um, the Catholics say it's time to have our own education system, uh, and they're powerful enough with um, enough money and power and influence to do so. The nativists formed the Order of the Star-Spangled Banner, uh, also known as the Know-Nothing Party of Nativists, and that leads to the awful disclosures, which are really horrible things said about Catholics, and 
mobs burning churches. Um, this would get worse if the economy was worse, but because everyone has a piece of the pie, uh, the economy being good stops further conflict, because otherwise the, the U.S. is just going to watch while the Industrial Revolution happens if the country devolves into infighting like that, which will never happen except for the 1860s. On the subject of the Industrial Revolution, steam mechanics for making textiles uh, and the beginning of the factory system starts in Europe and it spreads west. It takes a while because there's not a lot of land available, or rather the opposite, there's a lot of land available. People would much rather work outside than in a factory. And all these immigrants in the 1840s come uh, and there's enough labor and low-income people to begin working factories. Um, they do need foreign capital, which is the next step because the country needs to be stable to get foreign capital and people haven't people haven't officially decided that the US is stable enough to give their capital to um, but also the British just do things cheaply and efficiently so they hold the monopoly and their stuff is available which is important um, Sam Slater spent some time in Britain and then comes home to the US and he's secretly memorized the uh, blueprint for a textile mill um, he makes the first U.S. cotton spinner, but there's no cotton to do it with, and he's like, what's going on? Eli Whitney in the South looking to end poverty, as every good one, good person is, comes up with this idea for the cotton gin. And the cotton gin, that sounds boring. It sounds like a t-shirt dipped in alcoholic beverages, which I suppose if you're into that, doesn't sound that bad, but the point is, it doesn't sound that boring or that exciting. But it's really important because cotton is suddenly profitable. The South is suddenly tied to cotton, and to make cotton, you need slaves. And they get more slaves because they want more cotton to get more money. So both the South and the North get this huge economic boost. Alabama and, the, and Mississippi are both cleared for cotton. It's really the first start of the American Revolution, and by American Revolution, I mean the American Industrial Revolution. Um, Factories get this huge boost in New England, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Um, the South is, uses its capital for slaves. They are less focused on manufacturing. The population in New England and less farming in the rivers for factories makes manufacturing New England's trademark good old whatchamacallit. Um, trademark thing. Trademark. Trademark. So factories are spreading like wildfire until 1807, uh, and then the embargo happens. So imports, capital, labor, it all slows. There's this Buy American movement, and then Ghent happens, and then the British unload all their cheap goods, and everyone's like, we'd rather have things for cheap than from home. Um, the sewing machine is invented, which is interesting. A lot of mills close. Um, the tariff saves some of the factories. And then what really brings it back is Whitney, uh, Whitney, who decides to, Eli Whitney, same guy who makes the cotton gin, comes up with this idea for mass production, which is, um, which is the standardization of parts, it's interchangeable parts. Uh, so he does it first with arms, he mass produces the musket, um, which changes the firearm industry, leads to the revolver, and that is the basis of mass production, which is to say, you can have, um, factories all producing identical parts at breakneck speed in the assembly line, and they're all identical and they all work, and things are made faster and more cheaply. Cheaper, one might even say. Um, this is really the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. 
in the United States. That's like really the start. I know I said that the cotton gin was the start, but forget that. This is what really put the U.S. on the map. Um, the office of the patent, the like the patent office was a joke in the early 1800s. By 1860, there are like thousands of patents listed at the patent office. Um, the Industrial Revolution also leads to, to indirectly the Civil War, because the Union, uh, the Northern states, get this huge monetary advantage, and when one part of the country is a lot of money, the other doesn't, it starts to clash. There's also this change in how business fundamentally operates um, in mass. So this idea of limited liability, where the investor risks no more than his or her share, at the time his, um, it becomes the standard. Investment groups then are created. So the Boston Assembly has money in every industry, or not money, but a stake in every industry. Samuel Morse invents the telegraph, which further spreads business and etc. And communication, when commu he fundamentally changes communication when that happens and businesses can work faster and more efficiently. It's all about efficiency. Um, especially for the people who are working in these factories, manufacturing used to be predominantly done at the home, now it's in these factories. That eliminates relationships, it creates these things called, or not these things, these people. So relationships have been just completely eliminated from it. Hours are long, wages are low, it's unsafe, it's unsanitary, there are no unions. Children are working, the first mill is mainly run on child labor. Um, adult labor improves a little under Jackson. The Democrats um, get some loyalty for that. Um, in then Commonwealth versus Hunt in 1842, it proves or that it shows that unions are not, in fact, a conspiracy. A conspiracy. So workers start to demand things like a 10-hour workday, higher wages, public education for their kids, no debt imprisonments. Their employers collectively collectively say uh, no. Martin Van Buren, who's now in office, Airhorn, says actually sure, let's do it. The states agree, um, and employees eventually realize that strikes are the most efficient way to get what they want. There's a ton in the 1830s and 40s, and scabs were brought in, a lot of them failed, but 300,000 people unionize um, by 1837. It is time for uh, sponsors. So the uh, APU, the Pushing the A podcast is brought to you by Cough Drops, because Lord knows I need them right now. Cough Drops, they're dropping like coughs. I know it sounds like flies, but it's coughs. Um, brought to you by Neutrogena Ultra Sheer Sunscreen, SPF 70. Why is this in here? We don't know, but this is a good podcast. Neutrogena. We won't mute you down. Um, generic flower print box. Generic by flower print. It's what's print id. Uh, Ticonderoga, we have pencils, and frankly, who does? Ticonderoga, the world's best pencil for pushing the A podcast. Okay, thanks, Will. So now we're going to move on to the place of woman in this new economy. Women had a role in the pre-factory uh, economy. They... You know, it was the cloth and the yard and the candles. And then factories come in and say, actually, that's our domain now. So you guys get to have other jobs. Some women move into the factories. They're the factory girls. They work six days, 12 hours a day. Um, 
Lowell's Mill is all women initially. That's a rarity. Women at work generally are rare. They're more in the house domestically and teach, because that's what <laughs> men tell them to do. Um, so women dominate teaching and servantry. 10% are trying to leave the house, the other 90 are working there. Working women are typically single, and then they become a wife or a stay-at-home mom when they marry. It's this cult of domesticity. It glorifies homemakers. It gives the woman moral and fair only power, and marriage becomes more love-based. Uh, the, the white fertility rate goes down. Um, families become smaller. There's some birth control. Um, the choice for fewer kids is being made by women. That's called domestic feminism. Um, the Western farmers moving back out west. Um, there's grain in the Midwest. Uh, corn is planted in the place of forests, um, and it's really versatile, and they want more land for more corn, because otherwise, western soil sucks. So, Chicago and a lot of these other cities are built on the fortunes of corn, um, but to improve western soil so they can plant more corn, John Deere makes the steel plow, um, Cyrus McCormick makes the mechanical mower reaper, um, which makes the work of five men into the work of one man. It's the equivalent of the cotton gin. And it just changes everything yet again. Food production, cash crops, there's more than the South can ever eat of both. Um, now they need to figure out how they're going to move it east and west, which leads us to highways and steamboats. In 79, water commerce is slow. The roads suck. Um, it's hard to move things, generally. In 1790, Pennsylvania makes a turnpike, it's a toll, there's pikes, they turn when you pay the toll, thus the turnpike, turnpike, but turnpikes. Um, it goes from Lancaster to Philly. Suddenly there's a turnpike explosion, not the turnpikes themselves, but more people are making turnpikes in the east. The west doesn't want them, the east doesn't want to lose their population, so that's held off for a while, um, until the federal government says, actually, we're going to make a national road, and it goes from Baltimore to St. Louis, 1807, to solve the river problem, Robert Fulton, but it's really Samuel Morey, makes the steamboat, the Claremont, even though it's really the Aunt Sally, and he goes from New York City to Albany in as little as 132 hours. It's like five days. It's a long time. Um, but this changes it, because you can go upstream, you can go up current. It's Rivers become two-way, their capacity doubles, the cost of moving things down, there are a lot of boats, the Mississippi... The potential of it is finally fully used. Clinton, uh, not Bill or Hill, um, but George instead, says, okay, let's get New York in on this action, and he builds a canal, the Erie Canal, that connects the Hudson River to the Midwest via the Great Lakes. Um, shipping costs go way down, the land value on the canal goes way up, there are new cities, a new industry, um, money, Mid Midwestern farming becomes profitable. There are more immigrants come in. The Great Lakes have steamships on them, and because of that, Chicago, Cleveland, and Detroit just explode. Same metaphor there. Um, potato, the money in potatoes goes down, so New England farmers can't really keep up. So they either all move to factories or farming different things or Midwestern farming. Um, overall, the national market, this is a movement, the national market is becoming more important than the local, and the economy is improving. Um, cheap U.S. grain is displacing the Italy uh, farmers, the Italian farmers, and the Polish farmers, so they also moved to the U.S. to make some U.S. grain. 
Um, then comes the railroad, which is made. It's a huge development. It's fast. It's cheap. It doesn't really require there to be a specific type of terrain. It doesn't freeze in the winter. Looking at you, canals. The first is in 1828. That also explodes. It does, too. It also explodes physically. Uh, canal backers want to note that it explodes. Um, but, no, there are a lot of them made. And it really is one of the more prominent methods of transport in the United States. Keeping up with the transport theme. Um, Cyrus Fields. Oh, no, I dropped the note card. Um, Cyrus Field, uh, lies, lays, makes, he makes a cable, he lays down a cable, the Anglo-American-Canadian cable under the sea, um, it breaks, they make a new one, but it goes from Newfoundland to Ireland, uh, in the west, there are stagecoaches and the Pony Express, the Pony Express is super fast, super cool, and super inefficient, um, and it is made irrelevant by the telegraph, which is really sad, um, American boats are sort of crappy, and then the 1840s, the Clipper is invented, which is faster than steamboats, and it's got uh, the ability to transport high-value cargo in a really short time, like Indian tea, um, India in the Southeast Asian country. It can also transport people from California, or to California, and to Australia, which is really revelationary because before it was a really long trip, and now both of those places are a lot more accessible. Ultimately, the British went out with their tea kettles, which are, I gotta admit, cuter names. Um, you know, I'm looking at a map, India's more just South Asian, it's not really Southeast. Um, South Asia, <laughs> uh, the British went out with their more efficient tea kettles, which is not as, not as romantic as the Clipper, but it works. Um, there's a, just a general transportation revolution. The people in the east, they want to go west, um, and the natural flow of trade has been conquested, whatever that means. There's a lot of water transport um, in the northeast, and it used to be that the flow of transport was things went to go... You had to go through St. Louis to go anywhere, especially south. Now, thanks to the canals and everything, you can pretty much go anywhere. And so the continental economy is continental. It's, you know, the country is working together as a unit instead of separate states doing separate things. There's this national division of labor, um, and each region has its own little niche. The Mississippi River, people in the South think the Mississippi River is what's going to be linking them north. So a lot of states in the South think that, you know, they haven't really thought about seceding yet, but if they were to leave for some reason, Mississippi would force those states above them to come with them. But because of that new transport, because of the new ways you can move, less so. Um, Self-sufficiency in the home kind of ends thanks to these mass market factories. So the idea of like the family farm and the workshop um, is sort of gone. It leads to some patent and monopoly questions that go unaddressed. Marshall Court, the Marshall Court left a lot of contract liability or not liability, but he made it very easy for contracts to be pro-business. Um, monopolies were made easily. Limited liability was a thing, which was investors are only risk as much as their share. Um, wages and store-bought goods um, and factory work. The home fundamentally changes from all three of those things because suddenly people don't have the time to make their own food. They're spending the entire day making someone else's clothes. 
prosperity is up, but no one can do their own thing anymore. So there's also this new class of people who aren't working um, and can't make their own things because that's not how it works anymore, and so it's a new super poor class. It's better than people who are really poor in the Europe, the Europe, in Europe, their um, wages, even at the lowest level, are high, but it still sucks. Overall, though, generally things are prosperous. So that is where we are after chapter 14. Overall, transport has improved vastly. The market has fundamentally changed. Interchangeable parts revolutionized factories. Uh, the cotton gin and the steel plow and the mower reaper that happens to be mechanical have changed farming. The Erie Canal has made New York, and specifically New York City, the center of the universe. Um, and so that's where we stand right now. So things are, you know, things are a little, a little weird. Sort of a period of uh, almost being fully continentally unified, but there's still some barriers in the way. We'll see what happens next time, and by next time I mean in like 25 seconds, on Pushing the A, brought to you by Sleeping Bag, because it's in the bag when you're listening to Pushing the A.